1: And in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. Now, because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations, and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and economics and the creation, preservation, and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles that these particular economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference point, as they relate to the personal, familial, community and small business aspects of finance and economics, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before getting my license to practice law, fighting for uh, the economic empowerment and the economic independence and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities, some of whom I grew up with when I lived in Alaska. Now, because I grew up as a military brat and also helped create another one with my former military spouse, I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals separate from the service. And as such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you before, because I had the great fortune to spend a lot of time with my grandmothers on both sides of my families, And these are women that I have so much love and respect for and who taught me a lot, especially because they survived what I consider the four great economic challenges that were put before everybody in the last century that is to say the great depression and world war two but also because they were women of color the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through into our society today and it is out of my great love for these women who spent so much of the time in the jim crow post reconstruction south and i've spent some time with them there it is because of them that um I feel an obligation to at least when the time is right and the opportunity is right to at least tempt, attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and people with disabilities who find themselves the targets of and unfortunately more and more the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant in our somewhat greedy society today. So. The purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law as it relates to your money, and more probably than not in these days of high inflation and overall wackadoo economics, the the lack thereof, and your overall finances and what I think you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health wealth and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an Overall outline of some of the key issues you may need to consider uh, to help you find the qualified professional help I believe you need to have, you really need to have if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debts or all of them. So the title of this show is Happy Birthday, America. This 4th of July brings us all guns but no butter and no clean air and no privacy rights. Now, if you're a lifelong student of American and rural history and the role that politics and economics have played and continue to play in the rise and fall of what were once great societies, if you're like me, you've heard the term and you know the meaning of it of this particular term, guns and butter. But for those of you who are not familiar with the term, it refers to an economic formula that produces a curve on a graph describing the codependent relationship between an economy's production of guns, represented by the nation's spending on its military versus the production of butter, which represents the nation's production of consumer goods. And that's why it's formally called the popular production possibility curve in macroeconomics. Now, those of you in the know know that macroeconomics, as opposed to microeconomics, is a branch of economics that studies the aggregate production indications of a society, or better said, the production of the society as a whole, and it's also known as the production components of the society's gross domestic product. Now, guns and butter are both critically important to a nation's economy. Depending on the global security environment, the nation's defense may take priority over societal or social goods, specifically and especially in times of war. Times of war can have a substantial effect on a country's economy and its societal progression. Now, we only have to take a look at Ukraine to see why there aren't very many consumer goods being produced right now as that nation turns all of its resources and anybody else's resources it can get its hands on to go to its defense as it fights for its very existence. However, And even though Russia has the superior military force and is still generating enormous amounts of revenue from the sale of oil and oil-related products to countries around the world, including some in Europe, I say when and if an unbiased audit of Russia's budget allocations during this war was ever undertaken, we will find that it too has and will continue to direct a substantial part of its budget to its war machine to the detriment of its non oligarchical citizens and its societal needs. Now, there are also a couple of other terms we need to have an agreement on for today's discussion. They are what is known as a zero-sum game, and a non-zero-sum game. Now, a zero-sum game is a situation in which one person or group can win something only by causing another person or group to lose everything. Now, with a zero-sum game, after the parties engage in the game and they add up all the benefits and subtract all the costs of the game, the transaction, the result equals zero. They are in a win-lose scenario. In economic terms, there have been um, no expansion or contraction of either the means or results of the economic interaction for the society as a whole when you have a zero-sum game. Now, what is sometimes called the opposite of a zero-sum game is a non-zero-sum game. However, it's not really the opposite of the win-lose scenario articulated in the zero-sum game theory, because non-zero-sum game results are variable depending on the timing of the transactions, the quality and quantity of the inputs, as well as the overall economic environment giving rise to these transactions. For example, the result in a non-zero-sum game could be everybody wins, or it could be that everybody loses, or it could be that the total costs and benefits of the interactions are just not equally distributed amongst the parties involved in the game. So at bottom, it's my firmly held belief that a society that employs a winner-take-all, zero-sum game form of governing where a few powerful individuals or institutions that are supposed to protect us all foist their will upon the many. I say such a society is doomed to make very little forward progress for its common citizens and thereby assure itself a prominent place on the scrap heap of lost civilizations. And on the other hand, while there's absolutely no guarantee that a more collectively governed, non-zero-sum game run society won't from time to time have major setbacks, it is the only game in town where the demands of the few won't overrun the needs of the many a little bit of my um, rephrasing of one of my heroes, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. So, When we come back, I'll share some examples of why I believe this 4th of July is bringing us all guns, but no butter, no clean air, and no privacy rights. But first, we're going to take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side.
0: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we discuss why I say this 4th of July has me concerned that this holiday is bringing us all guns, but no butter, no clean air, and no privacy rights. Now, using some very significant Supreme Court of the United States decisions as our focal point, let's start off with why I say we're in a situation where I see we're having all guns but no butter. In a recently decided Supreme Court case, entitled New York State Rifle and Pistol Association Incorporated at Al versus Bruin Superintendent of New York State Police at Al, a certiorari to the United States Courts of Appeal for the Second Circuit. Uh, This matter was argued before the Supreme Court on November 3rd, 2021, and it was decided on June 23rd, 2022. In that matter, by way of introduction, I'm going to cite from the actual decision, the introduction part of it. It states, the New York, the state of New York makes it a crime to possess a firearm without a license, whether inside or outside the home. An individual who wants to carry a firearm outside his home may obtain an unrestricted license to have and carry a concealed pistol or revolver if he can prove that proper cause exists for doing so. And the case cites the New York Penal Law, which is New York Penal Law uh, number 400.002F. The introduction continues an applicant satisfies the proper cause requirement only if he can demonstrate a special need for self-protection distinguishable from that of the general community. Let cite a case where that was the conclusion. Goes on to say, petitioners Brandon Koch and Robert Nash are adult law-abiding New York residents who both applied for unrestricted license to carry handguns in public based on their generalized interest in self-defense. The state denied both their applications for unrestricted licenses, allegedly because Koch and Nash failed to satisfy the proper cause requirement. Petitioners then sued respondents. The individuals then sued the state. The state officials who oversee processing of licensing applications. for declaratory and injunctive relief, alleging the respondents violated their Second Amendment and Fourteenth Amendment rights by denying their unrestricted license application for failure to demonstrate a unique need for self-defense. The district court dismissed the petitioner's complaint, And the Court of Appeal affirmed, meaning that the Court of Appeal affirmed the district court's dismissal. Both courts relied on the Second Circuit's prior decision, and there's a case for that, which had sustained New York's proper clause standard holding that the requirement was substantially related to the achievement of an important government interest. So I'm going to stop right here and say that's the the guideposts, the measuring for when uh, a government wants to limit a a constitutional right, the government has to show us that what it is doing, its law, is substantially related to the achievement of that important government interest. Here, New York is trying to cut down on the number of guns that are floating around outside the home. It's already been decided that You can have a handgun or guns inside your home to protect you when the burglar breaks in. And what New York was saying is when you carry a gun outside, you need to have a a specific purpose. You're an FBI agent. You're um, a police person. You're a private investigator. Your former spouse has threatened you and follows you around. So those are examples though. So for brevity's sake, um, we all know that there have been tragedies in the state of New York, as well as other, uh, uh, other states. And there's been a very recent tragedy that I've discussed on this show that took place and that ended up in the deaths of, of several uh, of Black people because someone was carrying a gun around. And so now New York is very cautious about this and very concerned. So I'm, for brevity's sake... Um, I'm going to um, summarize what was decided in that case by referring to an, an article or excerpt from an article that was published in a publication called Roll Call, and it was published on June twenty third, 2020, and it was entitled Supreme Court Bolsters Right to Carry Handguns in Public, In a six to three ruling, justices decided states can't restrict a special need to have a firearm in order to carry one outside the home. And okay, so the article um, states uh, the Supreme Court extended the Second Amendment right to carry a handgun outside the home for the first time on Thursday, back on June 23rd. 3rd in a 6-3 decision that struck down New York's restriction on concealed carry licenses. The opinion written by Justice Clarence Thomas found that the 2nd and 14th Amendment protect an individual's right to carry a handgun for self-defense outside the home. States such as New York, could not require the applicant to display a special need to have a firearm in order to carry one outside the home. The court ruled compared to licensing schemes in 43 states where the government issues license to carry on objective criteria. Now, we know of no other constitutional right that an individual may exercise only after demonstrating to government officers some special need, uh, Thomas wrote in the opinion. That isn't how the First Amendment works when it comes to unpopular w- speech or the free exercise of religion. It is how the Sixth Amendment works when it comes to a defendant's right to confront the witnesses against him. And it's not how the Second Amendment works when it comes to public carry for self defense Thomas wrote Thomas was joined by five other conservative justices in ruling that the expanded that expanded the scope of the right to bear arms the first major gun rights decision in more than a decade the decision also comes the same day the Senate may advance the first bill that includes gun control elements in more than two decades we all know that that bill past. The ruling will reverberate most in states that have similar laws that require the applicant to show additional special needs, which the opinion lists as California, the District of Columbia, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. Uh, um, The article goes on to say that Justice Kavanaugh wrote a concurring opinion focused on those states that have may issue permit regimes compared to the 43 states that have shall issue regimes that only deny permits on specific cases. New York and other states may issue statutes were constitutionally problematic because it grants open-ended discretion to licensing officials and a authorizes licenses only for those applicants who can show some special need apart from defense, Kavanaugh wrote. Now, Kavanaugh went on to write that New York and other states like New Jersey and California can pass new laws that follow objective rules for issuance of permits that do not allow local officials any discretion. Um, Then Congress uh, has reacted negatively to this. The Republicans in the Congress generally praised the decision. House Judiciary Ranking Member Jim Jordan of Ohio tweeted, big win for the Second Amendment and freedom. Uh, Democrats decried the ruling as making the country less less safe. California Democratic Senator Dianne Feinstein, a longtime advocate of local gun control, Tweeted: The Supreme Court's conservative majority has weakened gun safety laws in eight states covered by a quarter of the population. This decision could put lives at risk. So, um, I'm putting that out there for you uh, to decide. Um, hmm. I I'm I'm a bit concerned uh, because of what happened in New York. Uh, uh, I'm not. Uh, uh, anti-gun. I, I have a permit to, to have a gun and I have used it. Actually, someone broke into my house and it actually saved my life, I believe. But I don't think it's a, a good idea for people of all tempers to be carrying guns outside their home and you don't know who you're going to run into. Like I was thinking about this the other day, as I was in the grocery store, and there was a bunch of Black people around me thinking about what happened in New York. So I put that out there for your, um, for you to come up with your own decision. As for no clean air, as reported in the Morning View on Friday, July the 1st, uh, the Supreme Court issued two final rulings uh, for this term, and one of which is Uh, limiting the EPA's ability to regulate carbon emission from power plants. In that case, the same six to three uh, majority said that um, the EPA could not be a transformational part of the economy since it lacked congressional authority. And as for so that's troubling to me, we're trying to deal with climate change, and it is for real. And As for no privacy, I've been talking about that for the last few weeks. So I'm going to leave it up to you to think about these things as we get ready to have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Just how much more guns and less butter and um, less privacy and um, less protection we have concerning our environment can we afford to have? So I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always in closing, um, I I want you to really think about the fact that COVID-19 has not gone away. And so I once again ask you to please get vaccinated and boosted. And even if you have all your shots, but especially if you don't, please take the necessary precautions to protect yourselves and your family uh, when you come in contact with each other by keeping your social distance, masking up, washing your hands.